welcome to an offshoot episode of Our Plant Stories. With this podcast, each month there will be a new plant story, but sometimes there may also be an offshoot that I've stumbled across whilst researching the plant story. In Pens Viburnum, and if you haven't yet heard it, I do hope you'll take a listen, we met a young man called Will Purdom. Born in the Lake District, the son of a gardener, he had been trained at Kew, and then gone to China plant hunting, from where he had sent letters and seeds back to Penn's family. In this Viburnum offshoot, we are back in the Lake District. Today's guest, Vicky Aspin, is a volunteer at Wholeherd Gardens, a 10-acre fellside garden managed by the Lakeland Horticultural Society with views over Windermere. She has written a book called A Perfect Friend, The Life of Cumbrian Plant Hunter William Purdom. And I am sitting in the sunshine with Vicky. We're now sitting on the Purdom seat and the original was donated by William Purdom's sister, Sarah Elsie, to the Society in about 1974-75. And um, I was volunteered, because I was young, um, to come up here and take bluebells out of the bed that we're looking at. And, well, that was it. It was a, it was a bit of a wilderness. And I sat on this seat, turned round, and I thought, what is a perdum? And that is where the quote in my book comes from. What are perdums? And that's where it all started. And so a name, a site, whatever, can take you into gardening in a way that you will never expect. I love that story. And it simply says, for three native Lakeland gardeners, William Purdom and sons, William and Harry. So how did you start? Digging. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, what do you do? You try to find out who this person was, why he was important. Very little at the time had been written about him. Well, nothing really, apart from certain articles. And, of course, it was before the internet. So if you wanted to know if somebody had any information, you wrote an email letter and said, I say, have you heard of William Purdom? And then six weeks later, an email would come back saying, hi, we do, we know. And, and then you start gradually putting information together about, well, we know he collected this, or we grow this, or have you heard of Mr. So-and-so? And the joy of it is in the hunt, the chase, the, uh, the magic of what these men did. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely riveting, yeah. So, paint a picture for us of Will Purdom. Do you call him Will? Do you call him William? I wouldn't be so familiar. Um, normally, um, I always think of him as Purdom. I would not dream of addressing him by his first name unless I was given permission. So Purdom has always stuck as the way I think of him. Um, he was son of a local gardener, Braithay Hall. And if we look from the seat where we're sitting, we can look across Windermere in a direct line to Braithay Hall. And that's why this seat is here. So that the line is there. And Ian, his father, um, well, his mother and father were remarkable people, had nothing, seven children, and they wanted to give them the best start in life they could. And um, 
Well, there we go. That's when it started. He was edu he was educated at Kew. Um, became a bit of a firebrand. Stood up for the working man, for the students, for what he felt were unfair, unfair treatment, and um, they needed to do something exciting with him without being appearing unreasonable. He had been sacked at one point and reinstated, and. Um, there's an expedition we're planning. How would you like to go to China, William? <gasps> Sighs of relief. In China, he won't be able to be a problem anymore. And um, anyway, you know, as I say, once I start, I can't stop. Let's have a look at the, some of the plants, shall we? Um, I'll, uh, right, the um, Alan, sorry. Um, the dead viburnum is there. That is even deader than I thought it was. Is there any any sign of? I think these buds are viable. Yeah. So tell me about the viburnum. Right, viburnum is now known as viburnum farrari, which I think is a total misjustice, um, simply because. Um, I think botanically it's the way things go. But Purdom collected two viburnum um, when he was out on his first um, expedition to China. 689 and 690, I think they were. And he brought them back and they were propagated, I think. The garden at Highdown wasn't Bowles, it might have been Stern, whoever, you know, managed to grow it, grew beautifully flowered, but. The source of the propagation material was from a monastery garden. Therefore, it was not collected in the wild. And so when he travelled out with Farrah, he said, yes, I will find you viburnum fragrance growing in the wild, which he did. And it came back and it grew and was propagated. And at some stage, it was decided that as... Farrah had bought back the propagation material or sent back the proper, proper it would be right and proper to call it Farrari as opposed to Purdom because he was the man that showed him where to get it. But then I'm biased. So we've got this young man. How yeah. old is he when they decide to send him to China? 19... Well, sorry, they decide you can go to China. Um, no, 1908 was when the plans were set. Um, he'd, he had been dismissed for agitating and was reinstated as it was de deemed to be in inappropriate. Uh, but they needed to, you know, they couldn't find a suitable place for him. So we're talking 1908. You need to remember that to progress in horticulture, you, you should be employed in one of the great gardens. Who's going to take on a firebrand? Nobody. And yet they speak of him as an exceptional propagator, a, you know, a fine young man with such potential um, and the thought was, well, um, there was a joint expedition between the Arnold Arboretum in Massachusetts and um, Veach Nurseries in London to go out and find hardy plants, um, mainly trees and shrubs for the Arnold Arboretum and decorative plants for Veaches. And um, they needed somebody who would be cheaper to send 
than Ernest Wilson, the great Ernest Wilson, more amenable than George Forrest, who was brilliant, but wouldn't stand any nonsense. And in a way, I think Purden was a bit of an innocent. He was overwhelmed by the offer. What do you even pack? How do you prepare? What do you do when you're suddenly well, quite young and you're yeah. heading off to China as a, as a plant hunter? Well, you... You talk to people who've been, you look at what, you know, they've taken, you get in touch with, you know, uh, I think Purden was in touch with Augustine Henry, I think he tried to get in touch with Wilson, he was in touch with the British Legation in Beijing, you know, asking all the time, you know, how do you, how do you hire men, how do you hire carts, what do I need, um, you know, and um, both Veach and the Arnold Arboretum would have been experienced in setting up expeditions. So if you look at any of the expeditionary lists, they're fascinating. You know, one hand axe, five, five balls of string, you know, down to the finest detail. Pressing paper, you know, things to make herbarium samples out of. Food, shotguns, boots, clothing. Waterproofs, no such thing as waterproofs as such. How did you keep dry? You know, a good tweed jacket, a knitty jumper. And, you know, and the where they were sending him was not a well-known area. Did he have maps? Was he... No, there were no, no maps, very few maps, um, because he was going into unmapped territory. How much money did he have? He had enough to, well, in theory, feed himself and... They used to send bankers' orders out to, you know, banks in Shanghai or um, Beijing or wherever. Carrying money was necessary so long as people didn't know you had it because otherwise the, the bandits would come down and steal your money. And did he have any idea of how long he would be gone for? Three years. That was the planned thing. Three years do not come back within that time. In the first six months, you will go to ABC, you will make lists of plants, you will note where they are, you will see if they're flowering. You will then, in the autumn, return to exactly the same places and collect the seed, if you can find it. You will then dry the seed, you will pack it, you will send it to us in packages of XYZ. And um, while you're doing that, you will take photographs, you will make herbarium samples, you will take detailed records of the local people, the topography, etc, etc. Oh, and by the way, um, it would probably be helpful if you learn to speak Chinese. Easy. Uh, I mean, and you're, and you're on your own, by the way, as well. Oh, yeah, he's on his own. He wasn't sent with another European. He was absolutely on his own. He did hire interpreters at one stage, but gradually picked up Chinese so quickly he could speak to his um, you know, servants, carriers, whatever. There were only about six or seven of them. But today we have so many sources of checking, don't we? We'd go on our phones, we'd look on the internet, we'd yeah. look at other... Is he relying on his own knowledge to be able to identify those plants is so, he how does that work some of it would work and some of it if you look at his collection notes it will say herbaceous it might say primula it might say he was better with his trees he might it might say birch um he might be able to 
you know, identify it down to, you know, genus, species, whatever. Um, but when it came to herbaceous plants, that was pretty tricky. And um, if you think that you come back six months later to find the seed pods of this wonderful thing, and of course the, the yaks or whatever have eaten it, tough you might um, and you the actual extent of the um, journey I mean he was climbing up to 10 15,000 feet and you know we would say he was rather tired you know and uh, but the the one line of communications were the um, the missionary settlements and they were in a way little havens and if you are able if you ever want to look up something, you, you get something like um, Stanford's Atlas, which was published, I think, oh, 19... I think, well, if you look, I think it's this one about 1912, and it will plot all the missionary stations by province, and you can see them dotted around. And there would be things like, you know, the Silk Road. The Silk Road will go from you know, vaguely Beijing to Xi'an and then up through, you know, the the marches of Tibet and into, you know, into the Middle East, you know, eventually. So he's there for three, three years. years. Yeah. What happens when he comes back? Well, first thing you've got to remember is um, 19... I'll do this very quickly. Um, you've got Puyi, who was the last emperor. Anybody that's seen that fabulous film, The Last Emperor... And he, he was, I think, dethroned in 1911. So there was this great scramble for power, the warlords, China was in chaos. When he came back, you know, he, there was all this stuff, and basically the, the vote was, well, you know, he did his best, but he could have done better. And the rational point to that is, ah, yes, but if you'd sent him to Yunnan instead of Kansu or Tibet, he might have found things... To collect and there were certain areas that were particularly important for him Taipei, Taibeishan, south of Xi'an was one he collected marvellous things there and then up to Joni, Choni and the, the sort of western marches of Kansu, Gansu now when he came back um, Wilson had already brought thousands and thousands of samples back people were more interested in dealing with those than with what he brought back. So an awful lot of his stuff, you know, is still probably unidentified in in, in archive, you know, in, in herbarium. Was it also about connections? Well, he, he hadn't got connections, had he? Exactly. You know, he was basically a working man. So although he might have been valued by those that knew him, he didn't have influence and probably the the person who valued him most was um, Dr Huffert White's Crags and the relationship between the two of them as um, well like a mentor and yet somebody who you know could share his love of plants um, you know they just seem to be well I won't say father and son but very 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 you know a great bond between the two and um, you know, and I think some of the good things of you ever see written about Purdom are, are written by Dr Huff, which I think is gorgeous. So, he's done one trip to China. Mm -hmm. It's not considered a huge success. Yeah. How does he now end up going back, back. again? 
Okay, um, he was desperate to go back. He had, I won't say he'd gone native, but he loved China. He loved the Chinese. And he wrote, I think it was 1913, um, The Impact of Deforestation in China, which was, you know, um, because of the building of the railways, because of the use of wood for fuel, etc. Um, and in a way it fell on stony ground. But along comes Reginald Farrer. Hello, Reggie. And Reggie um, had seen one of his primulas in the Primula Conference in 1913, asked Dr Huff to arrange an introduction, and then made this absolutely fabulous offer to Purdom, which was, would you like to go to China again with me for no money, uh, maybe a share of so no, for no money means there's no payment. You won't oh, get any money for going. No, You're just going. You'll, you'll get your you'll get your board and lodging. Right. Okay. okay. Just clearing that. I'm making sure I'm clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know you will go out before I do. You will travel third class. I will follow on in first class. And um, when I arrive, I expect everything to be prepared in readiness for my arrival. And it was like that virtually all the way through. Purden was one or two steps ahead, plotting where they were going, discussing where they were going, and seeing to Reggie's every need, really, because he was so demanding. There's a picture in your book, and he's in a sedan chair. Oh, yes. Which seems extraordinary. Well... Why not? He could, you know, why, why, why should he ride on a horse if it's more, more comfortable in a sedan chair? Were they going to a different area this time? Uh, well, Farah claimed that it was different. It was going further into Kansu and into the Tibetan marches because he wanted alpines. And the funding was organised by Farah. Lots of important people he called in to help, including the Rothschilds, people like that. Um, he had contacts. I mean, his family was wealthy anyway. And how long is this second expedition due to be? Well, Farah um, told um, Professor Balfour in Edinburgh that he'd do it in a year. And Professor Balfour in Edinburgh said, I think not, and you need a China hand, and the only person that could possibly undertake this journey would be Purdom. And so Purdom bit his hand off, but did also say, made it clear that he was going out to help, but that if um, the opportunities in forestry came up, then he would not stay with Farah. He would, he would possibly, you know. So he was already thinking that he had a longer-term yeah. project, uh, a time yeah. in, in China when he goes back the mm. second time. Mm. Yeah, but, but then, who, had, um, who was expecting the First World War? So this happens. When's their trip? When do they go? Um, they set out. I think it was March. I think it was March. March nineteen thirteen from Beijing, and by the time they'd got somewhere of use, um, First World War had started, and they found out, you know, by telegraph or whatever through the missionaries that there was a war, you know, over by Christmas. Was it worth coming back? And could they get back even if they wanted to? With the state of unrest, you know. So they stay there throughout the war? Um, Farah then did this remarkable thing of travelling back on the Trans-Siberian Railway to Petrograd to see the um, herbarium samples there. 
1917 Petrograd, hello, you know, you know, revolution, oh well, stand back, I want to look at some herbarium samples. He was indestructible, I mean, he was extraordinary. And Purdom stayed behind, packed all the seeds and plants, was offered a job with the um, railway, you know, forestry commission and so forth, stayed and died. Farah died in 1920 in Burma and Purdom died in 1921 in Beijing. Young men be born in the same year with such wonderful gifts. End of story. We met Alan Oatway, garden coordinator at Holherd in Pence Viburnum, where he taught us how to grow the plant. So, to step aside for a moment from Purdom and Farah, how does Holherd fit into this story? The Groves family who lived in Holherd were keen gardeners and associated with other keen gardeners in the area to share their love of the type of plants that they enjoyed growing. And William Groves, who at the same time as Charles Huff was building white crags, shared a relationship with them. They both knew each other well and they shared a love of alpine and mountain plants. And that uh, developed and gave rise to the stories that uh, you've been hearing about. So the Groves are also investors in William Purden's second trip? As I understand it, um, because um, Dr Huff was had this very uh, keen relationship with Will Purdom, he was keen to support the expedition and he got the assistance of William Groves and I believe a Mrs Marshall of Skelleth Bridge to, um, to share in one-tenth of a subscription to that expedition. And how is this garden maintained? Holherd Gardens now is maintained entirely by volunteers. So we have 10 acres and an unknown quantity of gardeners uh, that help look after the gardens. Um, each gives the time that they can afford to give according to the energy that they've got. Many of us are retired. Uh, so we start off very energetic and enthusiastic and gradually we slow down a little. And it's been preserved all the way through, so it's never had a period where it was uncared for and then it had to be re-found again? Or is... It had a, a very uncared for period between um, the, the original donation of the gardens by the Groves family, um, which was made in 1946, until the... Lakeland Horticultural Society was founded in 1969 so on its founding uh, there was a lot of uh, removal of brambles uh, and so on to be done in order to find the plantings that were still in situ. Vicky, can I ask you one other question? I'll ask you one question. What do you, what do you, when you wrote the book, yeah. I, 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 I get a sense of you, you are fond of Purdom, you really... I, I like his view of, um, I suppose he encapsulates um, my feelings about um, if you work hard, 
you're worthy of your hire, you are worthy of respect, you are equal. And he had a very, um, well, modern outlook on it. He was a liberal, but he believed in, he, he, he railed against this, you know, you need to be treated better because of who you were rather than what you were. And um, Farris summed him up saying he didn't have this, what's it, suppleness of need to bend when required. You know, he, he would stand there and say, well, I'm sorry, you're wrong, instead of excuse me. You know, he, 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 he just, I think, was perhaps in many ways um, ahead of his time in, you know, saying, well, what about, you know, the, the social issues? And um, I think that resonates with me as a person, that I, I think it doesn't matter who you are, does it? Not at all. Does it? And do you think he was ahead of his time in terms of the, the kind of deforestation aspect oh, yes. of that? Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. what had he spotted? What had he realised? Well, he'd seen that um, when um, trees were cut down in quantity, the climate changed, the, the, the soils dried out, the loss of bird cover and then higher higher you know uh, mammals and so basically the whole ecostructure went from losing the trees and that that was what he was convinced about and does he write about that oh yes he wrote um, he wrote a report i don't know where it went and one of the reasons he stayed in china was um he was commissioned to um, set up nurseries to, to, for trees that would be suitable for building the railways, you know, the taxodium types of things. And um, the, the, I mean, the Chinese loved him. And in the Purdon Forest Park, um, he, you know, you still see great taxodium standing in the water. And um, they, I think the park opened in what, 1996, 97, something like that. And I so was it's a, named after him. Oh yes, in his honour. He is, he is, you know, known better, or you know, in China than than he is in his own land. They never forgot him. And, and he, that's why I went out to China because they invited me to go. So you went to China. Oh yes. And you went to the park? Purdon Forest Park, yeah. On my own. <laughs> and your memories of it? Well, it was a park full of trees. And we walked around and they'd say, well, yes, we, you know, we're learning to grow this. And we've got different types. They, they gave me a book in Chinese, which I couldn't read, of all the different flowers that were, were in the park. And, um, you know, this, you know the, odd, the odd thing that I've managed to... Um, find that were actually growing in the park they're not rare and he didn't introduce them but you know I've got got one or two going or got one or two going in the bed but but no it was wonderful you know um, the authorities in China had contacted Q and said do you know anybody who knows anything about Purdom and it probably it, it I think the person who fielded the inquiry had been helping me with doing some digging and delving and they you know and so there it is, hello, hello, Mrs. Vicky. <laughs> All from a bench. All from a bench. With and a name plaque. With, 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 yeah. And that is, that is it, that who would think that sitting on the bench in the sunshine would take you to China?
My thanks to Vicky Aspen and Alan Oatway, who were so generous with their time and their knowledge, and it was an absolute delight to spend time with them. You can find lots of information and photographs on the website, ourplantstories.com. And if you want to help support this second series of the podcast, I would be so very grateful. You can buy me a coffee on that website. And do sign up to the blog so you don't ever miss the offshoot or bonus episodes. Our Plant Stories is an independent podcast presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman. <laughs>